The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, ready to preview Game 9 of the 2022 World Series. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, Aaron Nola's third start of the World Series, can he deliver for the Phillies? Hey, two best words in sports, right? Game 9. Um, I mean, look, we've been grinding all postseason. The fact that we now have a Game 9, can you believe this is going to be something unlike we've ever seen before. I literally cannot believe it. <laughs> uh, yes, winner of this game actually is the team that gets Sam Hilliard. We'll get to that trade later. It's the first Barbacast of the offseason. We are so happy to be just right back at it. We ain't waiting around. We got no lockout coming to, to shut us down. Uh, and we're going twice a week. We're going Mondays and Thursdays. I'm so excited that we now just transition. We're, we're, we're right, right into it, right into it. There's no, no reason to sit around and wait and be like, oh, nothing happens for you know, a few weeks. No, we already have news, and we're going to get to Edwin Diaz and Sam Hilliard later. Uh, but we're going to spend the first half of the show kind of tying up some, some World Series loose ends, some other news that came out uh, since we last recorded uh, you know, shortly after the final out. Um, because there is no game nine or game eight or game seven for that matter. <laughs> so, uh, Jake, let's, let's, where, where, where do you want to begin? Cause there were, there was, there, now that you got to, you, you know, you went home, you got to experience some of the World Series aftermath, you know, through, through the wonders of, sorry, the terrors of Twitter. Uh, and, and what, what, where, where do you want to begin? I would like to begin, uh, upon leaving the stadium. Mm-hmm. Okay. Walking through the streets of Houston. After writing my Philadelphia Phillies postmortem. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed with the mayhem, Jordan, <laughs> in the city of Houston. Maybe I left the stadium too late, but I wanted more chaos. All I saw were drunk people. There was no coordination of the drunk mm-hmm. people. It did not seem like it was celebratory. When I got out there, it was just pure hammeredness. And Maybe this is biased, but I know that the city of Philadelphia would have brought a little bit of coordination to the situation. And I, I maybe the parade today in Houston will give more of that. But I just wanted like they won a World Series. It like, didn't feel like they'd won a World Series when I was walking around downtown Houston. Now, maybe part of that is no one actually lives in downtown Houston. Right. And it's just where people go to work. And so that is confusing. And, and no one was around. That that was my but that was that, the vibe I got. That was my first thought. Is just that Houston is so enormous, and there's like I I assume less of an obvious congregating space um, for the bulk of the masses to to you know go uh, go crazy in. But I, I don't know. I mean, I I think you're just uh, listen, man. We're gonna keep. You have earned. Here's what I'll say. You have earned your your Philly uh, red pinstripes. I don't think you need to prove it any further by saying that Philly would be partying harder. <laughs> it's true. Jordan, I, I mean, the month that I spent covering the Phillies was essentially the Philadelphia Tourism Board trying to convince me that's where I should be raising my children. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's definitely a longer conversation, although you are, of course, wearing your John hat um, as, as we record. Um, but okay, so so let, but let's start with the with the moment right after the game because this did get get a lot of attention, and I'm not sure I didn't even notice it uh, on the broadcast. I didn't see it a couple couple hours later. Dusty Baker finally wins the World Series, 
and you see the clip of him. Of course, that was one of the first shots that they show is Dusty after the last out. And what did we see Dusty doing? Something I think you can certainly uh, relate to in, in some level, but also probably could not believe what he was doing on, on another level. <laughs> so ball off the bat of Nick Castellanos, surprise first pitch swing, uh, is flared out into foul territory and right. Kyle Tucker ranges over. Now, while the ball is in the air, Baker kind of looks up over the dugout, sees that Tucker is probably going to make the catch, and he turns his head back towards his scorecard. He picks up his pen, and he writes, presumably, F9, fly out 9. Some people just write 9. I write F9. I don't know what Dusty writes. And then he writes it. The ball goes into the mitt. People go nuts. Whatever. This made a lot of news because this is the happiest moment of this man's professional life, something he'd been striving towards for decades. And he has the presence of mind to finish his scorecard. For me, Jordan, someone who does keep a scorecard, a scorebook during games, what I often do, and this was my routine during the World Series, I keep a scorecard until like the fifth or the sixth, and then I stop. And then I focus on the game and I focus on writing. I focus on what I need to do. And I don't do the rest of my scorecard. And then the next day before the game, I do the end of the game after the fact to kind of catch up and and finish up my scorecard. And this allows me to feel like I understand yesterday's game. Obviously, Dusty does not need to switch his attention to something else. He could just do his scorecard because like, you know, that's his only job. (laughs) Right. That's the job. Um, I found it very endearing, very relatable. Did, what, what were your thoughts as someone well, who does not keep a scorebook? Yeah, well, so here, here's my question on this. So I, I know that the managers keep the scorecards and they have a, their lineup card too, right? I mean, that is more important functionally and practically during the game, right? Because that's something that the other team might be checking, that the umpire might be checking. Now, it's certainly a lot easier now with the DH. There's not as many crazy double switches and all that. But my question is, I, you know, it made me think of, it made me think of golf. Because in golf, you have to submit your scorecard after the game and it better be fucking correct or you get accused of cheating or you get banned. I, there's all kinds of crazy punishments. For this, there's been all kinds. I don't really follow golf, but whenever this happens, this is a big deal when someone screws up their their little golf scorecard. But my understanding, that's not, I mean, maybe this is, this, it's not like he does, he has to submit this, right? No. It's not like that, that's how that's how they officially win the World Series is Dusty submitting his scorecard, although that that is kind of what it made me think of. Um but yeah, so that's what I was thinking about. But it was, no, I agree. It was a hilarious moment. As someone in college who was responsible, not for the scorecard, and this is the other thing, like managers and coaches, scorecards don't always look like a scorebook, mm-hmm. right? True. There are certain other notes they're taking, whether it's pitch calling, whether it's defensive positioning, they don't all look like what you might think of. And in college, my responsibility was to do the pitch chart for our team and every pitch I would write down where it was and where it went and the outcome of it. And my pitch charts were littered with ninth innings that did not have the final out because once the final out, like, especially if it's a batted ball, Mm -hmm. right? You see it go up, you put your clipboard down, you shake a hand, Mm -hmm. you congratulate someone and then you run out there. So for Dusty to do the final out, I, I can't decide if it's a little, it's eyewash, first of all. It is definitely eyewash. Like, it is not necessary. I'm not saying it's a bad thing for Dusty to be doing it. It's just completely unnecessary. Yeah. There's no practical reason that he needs to write this down, right? He can just do it the next day or later or whatever. Right. It's not like he's going to forget what the last out of his first World Series victory was you know, when he goes back the next day. But I also love you. You're telling the relaying, you know, writing down the pitch locations because, like, yeah, because you don't have stat cast in Division Three baseball to tell you everything about every single uh, second of the field, anything that happens on the field. So that's why some people are like, why are you writing down where the pitch was? Like, well, <laughs> no one else is going to. That's the only way you're going to know. That's the only way you're going to remember. Um, anyway, so that was a great moment. I love that uh, for Dusty. That was very funny. Um, we also things, had oh yeah, go ahead. We had the injuries percolating, Jordan. We had yes, the yes. Martin Maldonado broken mm-hmm. hand. There mm-hmm. was the Alex Bregman presumable broken finger. Yeah, but I want to start with the Maldonado hand thing because yes. the details of that came out. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, it was his right hand, not his left hand, which is very crucial mm-hmm. because his left hand 
would be impossible, <laughs> considering how hard the Astros pitchers have been throwing. I don't think he would have been able to receive 99 miles an hour with a broken left hand. That said, I will take the moment to shout out that Cal Raleigh did play the last month with a broken thumb on his catching hand um, and somehow is doing that. Catchers are freaks. But to your point, he breaks his right hand on, a, on a, I believe, a Joey Crable fastball back at the end of August. And he's just like, yeah, no, we're just going to keep on. We're just going to play through this because I'm Martin Maldonado and you cannot take me out of the game. Even when they had a, he, a serviceable backup in Christian Vasquez. Well, this is what I, I actually... Okay, let me take a pause. When guys get injured or hurt in baseball there or, or sports in general, there is a tendency to applaud the players who play through their injuries, right? Now, a lot of that has to do with, you know, toxic male hubris and the <laughs> desire to push through pain, something that I am very uh, want to do uh, and familiar with. And so I'm not sure if it is always worth celebrating that is how he ended up with CTE problems in football hmm. right in baseball it's less of an issue because the injuries that players play through are not always life-threatening right now there's an example I remember there one year David Wells was like super hurt and super not okay to pitch and was trying to pitch through an injury and Mike Mussina like found out how injured he was and he called him out he was like you can't be doing this because remember if you're injured there's a chance that you're hurting the team by playing. Like JT Real Muto playing through like a bruised up rib or something, not that he had that, is the is necessary for the Phillies, right? <laughs> yes. Because yes. shouts out to Garrett Stubbs, like JT Real Muto, we need to play. But for the Astros, I feel decently confident that a fully healthy Christian Vasquez is a better and more valuable all-around player than Martin Maldonado with a broken hand. <laughs> I think that's fair, and this is maybe a good transition to the Wilson Contreras trade that didn't happen. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I agree with you. At the same time, I think Maldonado, as we've talked about, as you've written about, um, him just being behind the plate is, again, it's not like we're expecting anything on offense, and he still contributed way more on offense than I ever could have possibly imagined, is worthwhile. And it's not like Christian Vasquez didn't play at all. I mean, he had his moments as well. So I, I, I do hear you, though. It is, it, is, it is a little bit strange. And it's clear that uh, that he, he was he was going to be playing the baseball no matter what. And also, like, he broke his hand at the end of August, right? Mm -hmm. At which point, it was pretty obvious that the Astros were going to get the top seed in <laughs> yes. the American League. So that's when the Yankees are Why falling. Yep. The Yankees are free falling. The Astros are up. They're they're in. The Mariners are eighty five games back. Like, mm -hmm. why doesn't Martin Maldonado take two weeks? Mm -hmm. Right? Why doesn't he just take some time off, like uh, from his broken hand? Right. And I and that's one of those things. Which who knows? Would that would did the time off would have helped? Would it not have mattered? He needed surgery no matter what. We also got news. This was a couple weeks ago that Jose Ramirez was playing with I think something broken in his hand for the last three months, and it's that really did seem to hamper him. But at the same time, is is Ramirez with a broken hand worse than whoever they're calling up from AAA? Probably not. Um, so you know, I, I agree. It is it is you know, like you said, it, these players are, are crazy, and then finding that finding that line between. Am I hurting the team? Am I helping the team? Is is definitely a, an interesting one. And, you know, the Astros won anyway, so it doesn't totally matter. Uh, one other injury I think we do have to mention um, is Bryce Harper. You know about him? We, we, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about him a little what bit. What happened? What happened? So, <laughs> we, we we checked in on this before the World Series uh, with with Alex Coffey, um, the, the beat writer for the Philly Inquirer being like, hey, so Bryce Harper, like he needs surgery, right? She's like, yeah. And we still have not had full news about this. I'm sure this is going to come out this week about the official determination. But the point is, we know that Bryce Harper, who has not played outfield since April, his right arm is, is pretty fucked up. Now, how fucked up and them going to the World Series, what this really means, what it ironically will now mean is not just that he didn't play outfield all this season and was DHing, it's that he will likely need surgery that will keep him from playing outfield for much of next season and thus continuing the Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos corner outfield experiment, which I do not believe will be as enjoyable in April as it miraculously was in October. But yeah, again, we don't have the details on this, but let's just, I hate to remind everyone so, this is going to be a thing, but it seems like a big deal. We have some details. So here's what we know. In April, the end of April, Bryce Harper is feeling discomfort in his elbow. It is classified as a strain. He takes two weeks off from throwing. 
they reevaluate. He gets an MRI. It is then reevaluated as a small tear in his ulnar collateral ligament, his UCL. The Tommy John tear <laughs> ligament is how you know those three letters together, UCL. At that point, he decides to DH and play through it, right? Then he messes up his thumb, his hand. I think it was his thumb. He gets hit yep, in the thumb. hand, right? Breaks his thumb, spends all that time out, at which point there was apparently a chance that he could have resumed throwing, right? Because there are two ways that you can heal a torn elbow ligament if it's not major. You can either give it a lot of rest or you can get surgery. And if you're a position player, giving it a lot of rest is usually has a higher likelihood of working, right? The history books are strewn and littered with uh, pitchers who were like, I'm going to give it some time. And then they gave it some time and then they had to get surgery eventually, right? Yeah, unless unless you're Masahiro Tanaka, in which case right. uh, you're a robot. I should mention Masahiro Tanaka still pitched now another full season in Japan this year and has still staved off the, the Tommy John surgery Incredible. for another Incredible. season. <laughs> but there are position players who've gotten Tommy John. Jason mm-hmm. Hayward... Uh, Corey Seager, Matt Wieters comes mm-hmm. to mind. Didi, Didi Gregorius, uh, another Philly Didi great. Gregorius. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, Max Muncie, that play at the end of last season when his arm got run into, I believe by Jace Peterson of the Brewers, he did not get surgery. And he talked about how during this season, it wasn't totally back until like midway through the year. And that was maybe why his numbers weren't so great. At the beginning of the season. And so Harper, in theory, has rested his right arm long enough now that maybe it's healed. And I would imagine that now that his thumb is fully back, he would resume some sort of throwing program to test it out before he gets surgery. Mm, so I don't think it's a, a 100% point. chance that he has to get cut open. That being said, I would say it's like, it, it, again, we're not doctors, but I would say it, there's a decent chance he does have to end up getting surgery because... As a right fielder, you are throwing balls 100% pretty often, whereas like Max Muncy playing second base or first base, it's not crucial. I know he played a little bit of third there towards sure. the end of the year. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now, if he does need to get surgery, he won't be able to throw until half full throw full bore to halfway through next year, probably. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. It's you know, it wouldn't be a whole year off the way it is for pitchers, but there's no way he'd be playing outfield on opening day. There's there's no shot. Um, but you know, uh, certainly we just watched the Phillies survive with him as a DH for the entire season and make it to the World Series. So it's not going to doom them, but it does make you know, it makes their offseason a little bit more complicated, right? It makes a potentially a, a fit on offense a little bit a little bit harder than maybe it would have been were he be able to be in the outfield. So you know, uh, it's just just something to watch uh, for the Phillies uh, moving forward now again he it's not like you they made the right decision he played through it and it was very much worthwhile but that is definitely something we'll be be keeping our i'm sure we'll be getting that news at some point in the next few weeks um parades we got the astros parade coming up today but i know you wanted to mention again a little quick more some phillies love i do love this one of my favorite just sports things and maybe this is just sappy like oh you're a loser is the losing team returning home. This is in all sports. This is in college sports. I think about this in the College World Series when a team gets eliminated and goes back to campus and gets welcomed back. It seems like we got a little bit of that, some shots of Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber getting back to the bank uh, after losing. And there are, of course, a ton of fans there. And just the concept is like, hey, I I love that, no, they're not going to have the whole Phillies parade like they had hoped. But they, the, the fans still uh, given some love to their team that showed them an amazing season. And I love to see that. Okay. So the Astros won two more ball games and they get to shut down city streets. <laughs> and the Phillies who won two fewer games get nothing. That doesn't feel, <laughs> you know, fair to me. It doesn't feel even to me. The, the losing team should get something. Now, maybe this is the problem with modern society, Jordan, that we're re- rewarding the losers but I think that there should be something there. And I think that the team returning home to fans outside the stadium is a little bit okay to me. But like when I think back to the final game at Citizens Bank Park of the World Series, of game five, right, where the Phillies lose this heartbreaker and there's no goodbye. There's no fans staying around to clap and cheer. There are no players waving to the crowd, right? It's just lose a heartbreaker, get on a bus, fly to Houston. Mm. 
it was anticlimactic for a team that had such a huge impact over the city. And I wish that there was would be something like someone could get the key to the city or they could like throw the first uh, kick out at of Eagles game, I guess, or something. I don't know what they do there. I don't watch <laughs> football, but I just want there to be something. And this morsel of the team returning home definitely gave me a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. And I think, I think, you know, they, they get to do, I they still get to raise a national league pennant when they start the season next year, they still get like uh national league championship rings. That is still a thing that they, they, they do the next season uh, for the world series loser. But I do agree. It is not, it is not quite the same, you know, sometimes they're getting back and it's like 3am. And so there's like not even, you know, a normal time for fans to be there. But, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I definitely hear you. Um, now, if you were worried about the city of Philadelphia, considering they had lost two championships on the same day, the Philadelphia Union losing the MLS Cup final in arguably more heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, I'm not sure if you that. saw how that went yeah. down. Yeah, that was a tough, tough watch. Tough watch. If you were worried about the city of Philadelphia being OK, worry no more, because there is a video that I highly recommend watching. Jordan, did you see the video of the guy on the abandoned pier eating an entire rotisserie chicken? I I did. And. My, I, I haven't looked into this at all because I love that this was happening for 40 days and I didn't hear about it until day 40. Um, <laughs> but yes, there was a, a gentleman. Uh, I don't even know how to, again, like I, I still haven't looked into it this much, but it's, it's what it sounds like. There was someone eating a roti- full rotisserie chicken every day for 40 days and he did it. And he, he just, he just finished. He has 40th rotisserie chicken, which, um, trying to think jake you know we've talked about you know stupid f- food related challenges uh, you know we're 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 stupid you know you know 20 27 year old guys like we're gonna come up with stupid shit like this all the time where does this rent like when you first see this when you think about eating a whole rotisserie chicken as a food challenge wh- where does this kind of rank for you because to me it's really the setting doing this on this weird pier behind walmart i love that this is where it was happening but I kind of want to zoom in on the the food challenge itself. How, like, how impossible does this sound? Full rotisserie chicken, forty straight days. As a man who has put awful things into his body, mm-hmm. probably way more than you, Jordan. You treat your body, you know, much better than I do. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I'm the one who got food poisoning. Yeah, well, but maybe the, the thing about the the thing about the rotisserie chicken that strikes me is that it's so dry. Yeah, and. Eating the dry, unseasoned rotisserie chicken over and over and over again has to get old. And you know when you eat pasta like three meals in a row and you're like, man, I could never have another bite of pasta ever. This dude did this 40 days in a row, just schmanging unflavorful rotisserie chicken for no reason. That's the other thing. There's no motivation here. This isn't for charity, right? You don't win anything. He doesn't get anything for doing this. He just did it. Uh, also, I just love that this this stretches back to before the Phillies postseason run. I don't know what this guy's Phillies fandom is, if any, but that is another element of this that I'm I'm interested in. That that it, it, maybe this was the magic all along. Um, but it, he he he. I, I like that he he saw it through. It's not like it, it's not like he like so this started with him saying, "I will eat a rotisserie chicken every day until the Phillies get eliminated." Although that is what it ended up looking like. <laughs> That is very true. But it's just the best thing about this is that on the flyer he he submitted, it says the chicken will be consumed on that abandoned pier near Walmart. And when asked about this, he was basically like, yeah, if you're from Philly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know where to y'all go. Know, and people did. We're talking about. Yeah. Amazing. Um, uh, that was amazing. Anything else before we take a break? Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk quickly about this trade that was reported non-trade that was reported Jeff Passan in his uh, Astros win the World Series five billion word column just kind of threw a little detail in there that at the deadline the Astros agreed to a trade with the Chicago Cubs to acquire Wilson Contreras now one of the biggest stories of the deadline was Wilson Contreras not getting traded remember he had multiple tearful goodbyes to the Wrigley Field crowd hugging his friend Ian Happ saying this is it I'm done and then he wasn't traded now it seems like he was traded (laughs) And then uh, the Astros, uh, notably Jim Crane, who is in charge of the team, and another detail was in the stories that Jim Crane is very much involved in making the baseball decisions around there, for better or for worse, um, 
Because Dusty Baker was like, hey, actually, the reported trade was Jose Urquidy for Wilson Contreras straight up. Now, you might be thinking initially, like, wow, what? I can see why James Click would agree to that. <laughs> because if you just think about it strictly from a baseball sense, like, yeah, I'd rather have Wilson Contreras, one of the best hitting catchers in baseball, for who ended up being their eighth starter in the postseason. Now, I will point out that at the time, Jose Urquidy was arguably only the best run of his major league career. June 21st to July 28th, seven starts, 2-3-5 ERA. Um, he was dealing. And he was more important for them then than he ended up being in the postseason. But the point is, is that Dusty Baker apparently was like, no. Wilson Contreras is great. We do not need a bad defensive catcher thrown into the mix here for our amazing pitching staff. We have offense. We have a guy that has pitched in multiple World Series in Jose Arquiti. Maybe we'll need him. Maybe we won't. And so Dusty Baker was like, no, sorry, I don't want this. And Jim Crane, because he is the owner and gets to tell the GM, sorry, I'm in charge, decided, no, we're not going to trade for Wilson Contreras. And I think that is a pretty incredible sliding doors moment. So that will still win the World Series, probably. But I think it does say a lot about how what Dusty valued, a good, a good moment in Dusty's uh, you know, managerial tenure. And I don't know, but it is a great example of James Click saying, yeah, this is an obvious baseball trade I would like to make. And the manager saying no. And I just think it is an interesting story within the the the, the discourse surrounding how much control managers have and how much control owners have, how much control GMs have, and the fact that James Click might be about to be let go. I think this was a very interesting anecdote. <laughs> I don't think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I think that it turned out the Astros really needed another hitter (laughs) and like would have put Wilson Contreras at DH for most of October. And he would have been huge for them. And anything that Jose Urquidy did in October, Luis Garcia and Hunter Brown just could have done instead. And Mm -hmm. that they didn't roster Seth Martinez, who you've (laughs) never heard of, but is really good. I just, I think this is, this is confirmation bias. They won the world series. Right. And so then all of the decisions the organization has made since the beginning of time have mm-hmm. to be the correct one. No, that's not true. I think that this, to me, is an example of a, an organization not working correctly. <laughs> Actually, yeah, maybe Dusty was right. Maybe you know you bring in Wilson Contreras and the whole you know chemical balance of the Houston Astros is ruined and they lose to the Mariners. Or something, right? <laughs> maybe. Oh, that would have been but, great. And I understand, yeah, he's a free agent at the end of the year, whatever, and they win the World Series, so it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. But this, I don't look at this and be like, wow, they really, you know, dodged a bullet there. No, no, no. I'm bringing in Wilson Contreras. I'm with you. I'm I'm not trying to celebrate this. I just think that, again, it it tells us a lot about it, it. Again, it is written and it is told from the perspective of, look at this, you know, master class of managing. And maybe there's a chance it was that, but I agree with you. And if you're James Click, you're like, well, like I did build the rest of this team pretty freaking well, bullpen wise, for sure. Um, and and if James Click is indeed let go in the next couple of days, it'll just be like another one of those weird things that like, well, I guess Jim Crane is running the show. And if you're a GM, do you want to go <laughs> work there? I mean, you have a good chance of going back to the World Series every year, but it is a, an interesting, an interesting job. So, yeah, it's accepting the owner will be in your shit, yep. right? And mm-hmm. we've seen that in Anaheim with Artie Moreno a lot. And we've seen that in New York with Steve Cohen. Like there are pluses and minuses to the owner being in your shit. Yep. But this just confirms what I think we already knew mm-hmm. that Jim Crane has his hands in the mix more than I think James Click, the GM, is comfortable or happy with mm-hmm. and is maybe part of the reason he may not continue there past next week. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, should should managers, not general managers, should managers have a say in the comings and goings of players is a worthwhile conversation about mm-hmm. ba- within baseball. And mm-hmm. I think the answer is probably yes, to a certain extent. I think they should be consulted. But I don't love the idea that a manager and an owner together were able to scuffle a trade, <laughs> scuttle a trade that seemed to benefit the team winning a World Series. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's no. just my takeaway. Maybe I'd no, I, I think answer. that's I think that's totally fair. I just it, you know it is one of those things too. It's just the only reason this is coming out is because they won, and they're like, yeah, we're chilling. Sure, we'll we'll share this. Whatever we won, everything we did was correct. So, 
Anyway, yes. Okay. Anything? Anything else? Uh, I mean, look. There's there's all kinds of big you know reflections we could make on on how the postseason you know the the new format and whatever. And I think there's there a lot that's going to change. Also, the the whole all so many rules are about to change that we're going to be reflecting on over over the course of the off season. So we we can get to all that. Um, was there any big postseason takeaways that you wanted to to have before we we take a break? Joe Davis was good. Joe Davis was very good. And I'm happy for Joe Davis. Shouts out to the Beloit Buccaneers. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will return with some actual hot stove news. Back in a second. Hey everyone, this is Lindsay Rhodes, host of the NFL Roadshow, a serious XM podcast, inviting you to join me three, yes, three times a week for NFL analysis that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit. On Mondays, we react to the biggest stories of the NFL weekend. On Wednesdays, we pick one topic to really dig in on. And on Fridays, I'll give you all the fantasy football advice you need in just 15 minutes. We call it the Fantasy 15. Download new episodes of the NFL Roadshow right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, that's me. George Husterman, that's you. Edwin Diaz, that is a richer man than he was yesterday. Edwin Diaz has decided, you know what? Free agency, it's fine. I don't need to do that. He took the five days that are normally a formality to negotiate exclusively with your team after the World Series ends and says, what is there to negotiate? This man is offering me $102 million to pitch one inning every two days (laughs) for the next five years. Sounds like a plan. I'm in. Five years, $102 million with a six-year option, which might be the funniest part of this whole contract, Um, uh, and an opt-out after the third year. Uh, Jake Mintz, this is unsurprisingly the largest reliever contract in baseball history. Uh, Let's start with the obvious. I am so freaking happy for Edwin Diaz, not just as someone who, by all accounts, is just an awesome dude, person, uh, teammate, uh, former Mariner who I love just watching and just thinking that he could go from a shaky, uh, you know, unpredictable middle rotation. Oh, is he going to be a starter? Oh, just kidding. He's the best reliever in baseball. Oh, just kidding. He's the worst reliever in baseball. Oh, just kidding. He's the best reliever in baseball, having one of the best relief seasons we've ever seen. To go on that ride and end up with a $100 million contract is so ridiculously awesome, and I could not be happier for him and his family. Timmy Trumpets and the Timmy Trumpet Show has clouded the fact that last year, Edwin Diaz was despised by Mets fans, by many Mets fans. He was considered a bust. He was a disaster. He was blowing saves left and right. In 2019, especially, uh, he was a punchline. He was not good. And the times have changed. And I don't think a lot has changed about Diaz. I think that being a closer is just a volatile you know, profession. And sometimes you finish a year with a 1-3-1 ERA, and sometimes you finish it with a 3-4-5, and not that many things happen in between, right? Yep. Now, I'm not saying that Mets fans are not allowed to ride the waves of someone being good and then not good. That's fine. Like, if a player is not good, you don't have to like them, and then if they're if they're good again, then you can like them. That's that's fine. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that for Edwin Diaz, who at points during his Mets tenure was reviled by portions of the fan base and was like, oh, here comes Edwin Diaz again, right? Mm-hmm. To go from that to shut down closer, getting $102 million in free agency is just awesome. Totally agree. Now, let's let's be fair. He was pretty damn good the last two years too, but the stink of 2019 particularly coming off the trade, was so strong uh, that it took a while for Mets fans, it took a while and Jared Kalnick being terrible for Mets fans to be like, you know what? I actually like this guy. And then this season, he had one of the best relief seasons we've seen in a really long time. I mean, dude, 118 strikeouts in 62 innings. Like he, This is not a normal dominant relief season. Now, all that said, 
there is no guarantee that he's going to be this good moving forward. Now, if I'm the Mets, I totally understand prioritizing this and deciding we're not going to fuck around. Sure, we'll give him a sixth-year option and an opt-out and $100 million for a reliever and $20 million more than any reliever has ever signed for. Like, that's fine. That's great. At the same time, like, I... I <laughs> This is such a, such a, you know, paying for any pitchers, as I think this is kind of our, our mantra is just like, it's just scary because they're pitchers. And when you're paying for relievers, it's, it's amplified that much more. I hope Edwin Diaz continues to be amazing. But as we've seen, the difference between him being amazing and him being, you know, it's exhausting when he comes into the game is pretty small. And so I, I hope that he continues to be this good. However, this really sets up a bar and a commitment for a reliever, which there have been so few relievers ever to be good for four consecutive years, let alone five, let alone three. And so this is quite a bet on him, on his arm, <laughs> to continue uh, to do that. Now, of course, this smashes the previous record, Raldis Chapman, who signed for five years and $86 million. And if you go back and you think about that, after the years that he was coming off of, you'd be like, yeah, of course. He was nearly as good, if not as good as Diaz was in this last year in the years leading up to his free agency. He gets 586. He was really good for the first three years, three-time All-Star, and then he fell off a cliff. And that's fine, right? You know, the, the Yankees didn't win a World Series, but when you have a payroll that big, presumably you can't pay a closer that much. And the Mets have kind of changed the way we think about free agents because it's like, if there's no upper limit and this isn't going to prevent them from spending money on other free agents then why am I getting mad about it? It's not my money. And and it, it's really more about, does this prevent them from doing other things? Does this hamper them in any way moving forward? And we don't really know the answer to that. My inclination is no, which is why I don't think it's why it's worth getting too uh, worked up over, uh, besides the obvious fact that it's not our money. But it does kind of change the way we think about free agency if this is just like, yeah, okay, sure, we'll pay our closer $20 million. And if if we are paying him $20 million when he can't pitch or he's really bad when he's a seventh inning guy in 2027, so be it. So as fans and as prognosticators, we are trained to grade free agent acquisitions by the year and the dollar number because that's just the society that we've grown up in. And there are other American sports in, that have a cap where the percentage that a contract takes up is important because it does legitimately prevent a team from doing other moves. Baseball has operated in a weird in-between space because of the luxury tax, right? Where it doesn't actually matter because you could spend an unlimited amount of money on a roster and no one, there actually aren't punishments, it's just money, but there is a luxury tax and that does influence the way that teams act. Mm -hmm. And so when grading a signing, it really is, especially in the context of unlimited Steve Cohen bank, <laughs> is how does it impact other moves this team can make? How does it impact their ability to be flexible mm -hmm. in years forward? And how does, is it a plus for their roster? And for Steve Cohen, who is operating like in Roller Coaster Tycoon, when you type in the cheat code and you can build all the shit you want, it really is. Actually, that's a good comparison, Jordan, because Roller Coaster Tycoon, unlimited money. You build something cool. What is it actually doing? It's just taking up space, mm -hmm. right? It's just taking up space in your amusement park. That's the only problem. That's the only problem with Edwin Diaz is that he's taking up space. Now, you want Edwin Diaz to be the guy taking up space, at least for the next couple of years, because he's super fucking good. Mm -hmm. But what this actually does is it makes him harder to get rid of in five years, which, mm -hmm. again, is not the problem and not what Mets fans should be worrying about and not the headline of the story. But that is, to me kind of the biggest downside. It's not a significant one, but when we're talking about Steve Cohen spending in free agency, it's, it is the way to talk about it is, okay, they got Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz got paid a lot of money. It means nothing to Steve Cohen, who is the 78th richest man in the world. And him spending this amount of money on uh, Edwin Diaz is like you going to the corner store and buying a bag of chips. Like it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so you can't view it as significant, mm -hmm. I you're right. It is very difficult to parse out like what this is, what this yeah. means. Yeah, it's it's hard. And 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 again, it, we we joke that it's unlimited, and I, I, maybe that's not true. I mean, presumably he has told Billy Epler, you know, 
I'm not going past 300 or I'm not going past 350. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that number exists. We, we, we don't really know. And so, again, we'll see how the rest of this, this offseason plays out because, as we know, it's not like they just traded for all the best players at the deadline. And maybe that was a Steve Cohen call. Maybe it was a Billy Epler call. Like there were there were things that the Mets haven't done since Steve Cohen has has gone there. Right? They haven't just signed all of the best players. But in this case, when it is about retaining one of your most important players, they decided, yeah, let's just get it done. Let's not mess around. And it'll be really interesting to see. Most importantly, spinning this forward, how this same uh, you know dynamic plays out with Nimmo and with DeGrom, because the other thing here is if you're the agents for Nimmo and DeGrom, you say, oh, you want to keep us? Okay, let's just jack the price up like crazy because why not? Why not, right? And that is the one, it's not, it, it, to call it a downside is is not really fair. At the same time, that that is a real thing that is going to happen in this market if you're talking about the Mets. And I think that is going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out. And if Steve Cohen proves that he's going to keep paying these outrageously high prices for baseball players. Great. Great. That's good for baseball. Like more yep. owners can and should be operating this way, right? Yep, exactly. But exactly. as long as he remains an outlier, it's going to impact him where he's going to keep having to do this. Where like if I'm an agent, right? I'm like there's a price for the Mets and there's a price for everyone else because I know that Steve Cohen is more willing to blow past whatever I'm asking for. Yes. Right. From another team. And so I don't necessarily think that that's a downside. I think it's more of like a side effect. Yes. Because again, this guy has so much fucking money. (laughs) And again, the the leverage is maximized for the ones that him as a Mets fan and knowing the fan base knows that they already love. And that is going to be Nimmo and DeGrom and maybe some other guys. But those are the ones that are the biggest. Whereas he, he doesn't have the emotional attachment for, you know, player X in free agency. Say, all right, yeah, Mets, you're going to pay two times whatever anyone else is going to pay. It's like, yeah, well, I don't know you. I, don't, I haven't seen my fans root for you, so I'm not going to necessarily do that. But for the re- retaining them, I think he, he has that that edge. So, uh, But this will be a theme we continue to talk about in free agency. And we'll have our, our free agency rankings coming up at Fox Sports this week, um, which is that, like, Yes, people are going to say, oh, well, Aaron Judge is 31. Are we worried about how he's going to age? Like, yes, but also you're signing Aaron Judge right now because he's one of the best players in the world and you want him to help your team right now. That's why you're signing him. And what that is going to cost is giving him a lot of money in 2028. That's just how this works. Uh, one other, much less, uh, anything else I would do? I mean, again, it's just, it's cool for him. And I, it's not like Mets fans are sad about it, even if it looks like a huge amount of money. How much would Timmy Trumpet need to be on retainer? And like, essentially, what is it called when Britney Spears like has a show in Vegas? Residency? A residency? Residency. Residency. Yeah. How much do you think it would cost for a Timmy Trumpet annual residency? Seems like we might be about to find out. <laughs> I, I don't know. 20 million. I, yeah. Like how many times do we see, do we see uh, Timmy Trumpet in, in, in 2023? I guess we're, I guess we're going to find out. Um, so yes, anyway, congrats to Evan Diaz. Uh, this, this was, I mean, this was shocking again to see a deal this big, this quick, this quick, but I can't blame him. Can't blame him for taking it. Um, one other move, not quite as sizable, but one I, I, we did wanted to mention is the Braves in classic fashion, just announcing a transaction, uh, with a press release, which is that they have acquired Sam Hilliard from the Colorado Rockies. Now we don't have to go too deep onto this, although I will say I do quite like Sam Hilliard, um, and have, even though he was one of the worst hitters in baseball this season at the major league level because he strikes out so much. The reality is the Braves don't have uh, a ton of left field options right now. It is Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario. And I guess if you're going to throw Vaughn Grissom out there or Orlando Arcia, this is a place they can improve. Now they can probably improve a lot more than Sam Hilliard, but what you're going to see a lot over the next week is trades from teams trying to clear 40-man space uh, for prospects that they're going to add ahead of the Rule 5 draft. And so you're going to see a lot of minor moves like this. And I just like it because Sam Hilliard is tooled up and there's like a 3% chance that he figures out a way to hit 25 homers for the Braves next year. And we'll see how that goes. I, I doubt he's their plan A in left field, um, but he is has an interesting profile that, that I have liked in the past. And we'll see how that goes for them. But it's just a preview to come because we're going to see a lot of other minor trades like this for guys in the 40-man either adding or, or subtracting because 40-man space is very valuable nowadays. One of the trades that trickles across your timeline over the next week will end up mattering. Probably one, probably just one. 
Uh, probably not this one. Probably not any of them, but probably one of them. Just keep that in mind come next season. Uh, Jordan, now what is coming up? What is on the baseball horizon? We have the parade in Houston today, but also today is the beginning of the GM meetings. Now, Jordan, what are the GM meetings? The GM meetings uh, are when, it's exactly what it sounds like, the GMs and a certain number of their lieutenants, as they say in the front office, meet in usually California uh, or somewhere on the West Coast. Maybe it's been in Florida sometimes. And just kind of stand around, do some, do some, uh, you know, some, some, some lobbying, some checking in. There's agents there too. This is kind of the more exclusive version of the winter meetings, which we'll talk about in a second, where you get your first taste. It's, it's unlikely that, uh, that trades go down at the winter meetings. This is the first, or at the GM meetings, this is the first kind of touching base between players or between agents and GMs and GMs with each other. The GM meetings is actually famously where uh, Jerry DePoto sat down with Brody Van Wagenen when he was the Mets GM and was like, hey, what do you think about maybe uh, us giving you Evan Diaz and you giving us Jerry Kelnick and you taking Robinson Cano? And like that is where that first began. So it is where frameworks are kind of started to be built, but it is unlikely we'll get actual full trades here, but it is, it is where the, the hot stove discussions begin. There will be quotes that you will see. There will probably be one that makes you go, what? I believe Scott Boris will address the of media course. at some point in the next couple of days. So that will be enjoyable. To let you know how important Jordan and Jake think this is, we're at home. We're not there. Um, though we have been told that it is a good place for media members to uh, bally about uh, around general managers to shake hands and kiss babies and whatnot. We have uh, decided not to do that. And we are at home. That said, of course, the weirdest part about this is they usually don't start like 48 hours after the World Series. Usually it's there's more of a gap and which makes me wonder, uh, I guess, you know, we talked to Dave Dombrowski about this in our World Series preview. Um, I imagine he will he will be there. James Click might not be a GM by the time the GM meetings are over. So uh, who knows if he will end up uh, attending that or who will be there for the Astros or whatever. They're not worried about that this week as much. Uh, but yeah, you will see some interesting quotes. A lot of them will be extremely generic because the truth is that 23 of the 30 GMs say nothing in public ever. Uh, and then there's Jerry DePoto, who likes to share way too much about what he wants to do. So you will probably see some interesting quotes from some of them, some not interesting, some quotes from others. But that is the beginning. But more exciting for us, where we will be attending, is the winter meetings from December 7th to December 11th, I believe. Or sorry, 4th to the 7th. And uh, that is in San Diego. And we will be attending those. And that is when shit gets real. Now, sometimes there are winter meetings and nothing happens. But the last time we had the winter meetings is when Scott Boris got $800 million of deals for Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon, and Garrett Cole in the span of like 20 minutes. So uh, that will be fun. I'm really excited to have that back on the calendar. We will be attending those. Very excited about that. Uh, in between those, the GM meetings and the winter meetings, we'll have the awards next week. We are not the biggest awards guys, I would say, but we will certainly be talking about them uh, on here. I am curious to see if Judge, what the Judge Otani split is. I think we believe Judge will win, but I'm curious what the Judge Otani voting split is. So that, if anything, will be will be interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're we're just excited to be podcasting twice a week. We we're going to figure out exactly what what the cadence is and and, and the schedule and or not really the schedule we're going to go Mondays and Thursdays but you know what the shows are going to sound like we're going to bring some special guests back on I'm really excited to get to have uh, some guests on again here soon uh, excited about guilt, building that out um but yeah man we we got plenty to talk about it's it is not going to slow down whatsoever expect a big off-season preview at some point over the next week or so really go big picture and talk about the biggest free agents of the winter, the, what certain teams need to do, what trades might happen over the course of the offseason, how excited we are that there's no lockout, and so we don't have to talk about that for the next uh, four months. Oh, my God. That's four so years. Nice. It's so <laughs> then we'll nice. do it again. It's so nice. <laughs> then we'll do it all over again. Jordan, before we leave, is there anything else you want to talk about? I guess we should just mention there is uh, more baseball going on around the world. The Dominican Winter League, one of our favorites, uh, probably the best ball going on during the winter. You can watch that on MLB TV with a subscription. All the games are broadcast in Spanish. It's a lot of players that you've heard of. Definitely worth your time. 
the Venezuelan Winter League is similar, except that there are fewer players that you've heard of. Yep. Because the political situation in Venezuela makes it harder for players to go. And then the last thing is that there's one last Korean series game to be played. Yes, or maybe maybe two best of seven. Uh, I, I just love that the, the World Series ended and we immediately got a walk-off homer in Aguilas versus Lisey and then a walk-off homer in the Korean Series. Um, the, the SSG Landers are up 3-2 in the best of seven over the Kiwum Heroes. Juan Lagares looking for a KBO championship for the SSG Landers before I presume he heads back to the Dominican to play for Aguilas. So certainly pulling uh, for Lagares there. Um, but yeah, oh, we got the, the Australian Baseball League. Of course, we we, got it. we have to mention that. Our, our producer is Australian, Chris Tyler. Thank you to Chris for for, for producing, as always. We got the, the ABL starting up. I believe the Rays are sending a bunch of prospects again. They've been doing this uh, a couple a couple years now where they send a bunch of their guys uh, down there. So there's plenty of winter baseball. It's Look, I know it's these, oh, no, 100 and whatever days slow opening day. Oh, so many days until... Uh, until you know, pitchers and catchers report. There is baseball year round if you look for it. And the beauty of living in the future is that it's not that hard to find. And so, even three, four years ago, it was so much harder to watch these games than it is now. We cannot encourage you enough uh, to check out Lidome, check out Venezuelan Winter League. Um, there's streaming services for that. Uh, KBO is again about to be over, but you know that's another thing you can check out in the next next couple of days. And uh, and then we got the World Baseball Classic. I mean, that's going to be a whole other thing that we'll be talking about uh, plenty in the coming weeks. Um, I will say too, we will get to just checking out. You know, we get, I finally have all of our new managerial positions filled. We'll talk about that uh, in a future episode. Um, don't worry, Pedro Griffol, you'll get your, your your time in the sun. We will celebrate you not being Tony Larusa because that's really. Uh, really all we have to say about that um, at the very least uh, but we'll get to all that uh, on Thursday at the at the very at the very latest so thank you all for listening again you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com that's b-a-r-b-cast uh, continue to give us ratings and reviews leave the name of a random baseball player in your review for us and we will we will maybe we'll, we'll factor that into the, to the show at some point in the future but yeah man we're excited the hot stove is here free agency is here and uh yeah we'll, we'll start getting some some more trades that are more exciting than sam hilliard and, and we'll be off so thank you all for listening and we will talk to you on thursday serious xm podcasts how powerful is cox internet Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.